I know that many of you this morning have social media accounts, whether through Facebook or Instagram or the plethora of social media venues uh, and uh, apps are out there. I want to ask you an honest question. How many of you, when you post something, are keenly aware and perhaps even count the number of likes, comments, and interaction you have on your post? Does it bother you when you receive less than your normal expectations? Does it bother you that you receive so little likes? Does it bother you that your competitor, your enemy, your friend has more likes than you do? Whether they be likes on Facebook or hearts on Instagram, sadly for many of us, we have fallen to the idol of social media as part of our life. Why do I call it an idol? Because many of us check it first thing when we wake up. We check it every hour of the day, lest we miss something. It is the last thing we do before we go to bed. We check it again to make sure we aren't missing out. But for many, a prayer or reading of the Word of God is nowhere to be found because one simply doesn't have time. But everyone has time for social media. Social media in our generation has become an idol because of the amount of time it takes from our lives. How many of you, all you can think about is work? You're thinking about advancement in your career. You're thinking about the next deal. You're thinking about the next business opportunity. The friends you make are people that you know that you can use for your work to advance your desire for greater achievement. You're always looking for opportunities for growth. Your time is immersed in your career. We call that the idol of career. And many of us bow down to it. How many of you think only about yourself? How many of you think only what someone or something can benefit you? You wonder how people like you. How many compliments do you get? when you've done something right. And when they don't remember the things you've done in the past, it annoys you. When they don't know, quote-unquote, who you are, as if we're supposed to know who you are. How many of you get caught up, although you'd never admit it, that you desire affirmation? And when you don't receive affirmation, you begin to get very bitter. If you're caught up into what I've just described, then perhaps you are worshiping the idol of self. And yes, it is possible that you can worship the idol of self. I see it all too often. The problem of these types of idols is that they are idols that are hidden in the depth of one's heart. It is hidden in the amount of time we spend on it. It is not as obvious as the other type of idols, the ones made of wood, precious metals, or porcelain, where you go to a temple to worship. But they are idols nevertheless. In fact, perhaps, they are a bigger problem, these idols of the heart, than these idols of statues. It is such an important issue that in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel dedicates an entire chapter to dealing with this issue. So this morning, I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 14, as we exposit verses 1 to 23. We continue our study in the book of Ezekiel, 
as this morning we deal with idols of the heart. By the way, if you missed last week's sermon on false prophets, which was an exposition of chapter 13, I encourage you to go listen to the recording online so that you can catch up in our study in the book of Ezekiel. We're studying this book as we approach our 50th anniversary celebration because we want the men and women of this church to be challenged to be the watchmen of our generation, to be the watchmen of our community, to be able to call out what is wrong, wrong, to be able to tell our community and the world that there is hope. But we must deal with idols of the heart in our hearts if we are to be the watchmen for this generation. Now, as a background, let's take a look at verses 1 to 3. Now, some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? Now, as we remember, Ezekiel and some in the Jewish community were part of the first wave of exiles by the Babylonians. They had now settled into the land, and God called the prophet Ezekiel to minister to these people. But if you remember our study from a few weeks past, you know that God had placed restrictions on the prophetic ministry of Ezekiel, one of which is that he could not leave his house unless God allowed him. Another is that he could not speak unless God opened his mouth for him to speak. There were people miles away living in Jerusalem and Judah, and they would soon experience God's final judgment in 586 B.C., prophetic from their time, when the Babylonians would come and once and for all drive out the Jews out of the land in exile due to their sin and disobedience. Perhaps those living in Babylon, the first wave of exiles, wanted to know when God would lay out his final judgment. Perhaps they wanted to know how long the judgment of exile would last. And so some of these elders came to the prophet Ezekiel to receive God's instruction about whatever was on their mind. They recognized that Ezekiel was a true prophet of God as opposed to all the false prophets that had pervaded the land that we talked about last week. They thought they were good people, presumably thinking that they were following the Old Testament laws as best as they could. They worshipped the one true God. And so they were befitting to be called elders of their community. But inwardly, God indicted them because they had set up idols in their hearts. It wasn't the obvious blatant idolatry that had worked its way into the temple in Jerusalem that caused the glory of God to depart, which we studied in Ezekiel chapter 8. It was the more subtle kind, the unseen perhaps, because these idols, the Bible says, were set up in the heart. If I were to ask you this morning, how many of you worship idols? Most all of you would answer, no, we don't worship idols. Because in your mind, the idols that you think I'm referring to are the wooden figurines or porcelain figurines that pagan religions have and they bow down to. 
you and I would never worship idols, would we? But here's my definition, or the biblical definition of what is an idol. An idol is something or someone that replaces the worship of the one true God in priority and in practice. An idol is something or someone that replaces the worship of the one true God in priority and in practice. Therefore, an idol may be a person you literally idolize, a parent, a Bible teacher, a scholar, a rock star, a musician. An idol in your life can be a person you idolize. It can be a hobby or an interest that you are very much engrossed in. It could be a television series that takes up all of your time. It can be a computer game that has literally hypnotized you so that you can't sleep because you're playing it all night. An idol can be a relationship with someone that takes priority over your relationship with God. You see, my friends, even your spouse can be an idol in your heart where you so adore your husband and wife so much that your relationship with what should be your first love, Jesus Christ, is somehow diminished. I know way too many cases where a very devout Christian, because of marriage, no longer comes to church, no longer has a relationship with the Lord because their spouse isn't a believer or their spouse isn't as devoted. And therefore, they believe that in the priority of being with their spouse, they neglect what should be their most important relationship, which is with God. And thus, their own spouse is an idol in their life. What makes idols of the heart so dangerous and damaging to an individual? It is because unless you acknowledge it, unless you admit it, no one can call you on it. If they see you worshiping before a god of wood, or a god of porcelain, we can say, hey, that's wrong. Get yourself up. Those are inanimate objects that carry no power. Worship the one true God. But in many cases, no one can peer into your heart. No one can call you on the idols that you have set up in your heart. And so these elders came to Ezekiel thinking that they're going to ask and inquire of God. But before God reveals anything, God indicts them and tells Ezekiel, these men are hypocrites. These men have set up idols in their heart. And so, God reveals what these elders needed to hear, not what they wanted to hear. And they needed to hear that there is a danger to having idols in the heart. What is this danger? Look at verse 4 and 5. Therefore, speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Every one of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him that, note this, which causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols, that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart because they are all estranged from me by their idols. If you're taking notes, number one, the danger. 
The danger is that idols of the heart causes us to sin. Idols of the heart causes us to sin. Many of the idols we've set up in our hearts are intrinsically, by itself, actually not sinful. If I were to ask you this morning, is Facebook sinful? Is Facebook evil? The answer is no. It is a platform for connecting people. For some, it is a platform to spy on your friends. Whatever the case, Facebook intrinsically is a program or an app that is amoral. It is not sinful. If I were to ask you, are cars inherently sinful? The answer is no. Cars are not sinful. They're not evil. It is a means by which we can get around. It is a means of convenience. If I were to ask you, are sports inherently sinful or evil? The answer is also no. Sports are a means by which many get exercise, by which many find bonding between friends. If I were to ask you, is shopping inherently sinful or evil? The answer is yes, very much so. I'm glad you're listening. But joking aside, it is not. Because one has to buy things, one has to eat. But if these things somehow have priority over your worship of God and your desire to please Him by living a holy life, then these things, having priority over the worship of God, will eventually, the Bible says, cause you to sin. It causes him to stumble into iniquity. Iniquity is sin. Like Facebook or social media, you begin to covet the food that someone else is having for dinner. You begin to envy the life and the lifestyle that someone else is living. You begin to get jealous of a vacation that someone is on right now. And you begin to covet to a point where you look at your many blessings in your life and suddenly those blessings aren't blessings anymore and you begin to feel that you aren't blessed as much as someone else. And in your ungratefulness and in your grumbling, you sin. Or if you love cars and are fascinated with cars, you begin to get into the world of cars and car shows and racing of cars, a lot of which happens on a Sunday morning, and so you skip church. And then you begin to go to car shows to see what is the latest and greatest out there. You know that car shows have a lot of scantily clad women. Somehow they are associated with the selling of cars. But if you're a marketer or advertiser, you know that the interest in cars skews towards men. And so they put beautiful women there, dressed very inappropriately, so that you can go and tell your wife that you're going to look at cars. But in reality, we know what you're there for. And so you go justifying in your mind that you're going to go look at some cars, and then you lust, and you've sinned. I respect very much one of my friends who loves cars, but he refuses to go or join in car shows because of the temptation that is there. I don't have to say much about sports. Sports do not often bring the best out of us. It brings out the worst. It brings out the worst in us because of our desire to win at all costs, to prove that we're better than someone else, so we play a bit dirty, 
And so we delve into the world of sports, and I love sports. But there's a dark side to sports. Sports gambling and our obsession with it. Sports that dabble into the illegal. Perhaps even in how we play. It damages our Christian testimony to the world. And by doing that, we sin. Shopping is an issue when you're doing so only to keep up with what other people have. And sadly, that's a lot of people in our country. They don't have the money to afford what they want to buy. And so they just all put it on credit, knowingly putting it on credit with an understanding that they neither have the capacity or the ability to pay it back. You know what we call that? We call that stealing. And the Bible says it's a sin. This scriptural truth is powerful, but it is simple. The danger of idols in our hearts is that it causes us to stumble into sin. Because when we make these things the priority, then the priority of the worship of God and living a holy life for His pleasure no longer is there to serve as a boundary and a balance so that we do not go overboard and beyond what the Scriptures allow us to do. Because when these things take first place in our lives and in our time, then God's word is diminished. God's voice can no longer be heard. Our desire to worship God and live for His glory now takes a back seat to our hobbies. And therefore, the balance and the boundaries are no longer there. And that's why the Bible says they stumble into sin. But if you're guilty of this, as all of us are, what is the response? Look at verse 6. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent. Turn away from your idols, and turn your faces away from all your abominations. This is in the context of idols in the heart. The immediate response from God is that if you place things above the worship of God, if you have idols in your heart, then you are, number two, to respond. How do you respond? By repenting and changing. The response, if you have idols in your heart, is to repent and change. Turn from it. Change. If something is pulling you away from the priority of worshiping God, drop it, stop it, get rid of it. It calls for drastic measure. Some of you may need to go home this afternoon and uninstall Facebook. Some of you may need to go home and uninstall Instagram. Some of you are thinking, if I do that, how can I then live? My friends, you'll be fine. There was a time in your life when you lived without social media. If Social media is pulling you down. Your life will go on. Perhaps for some of you, you need to stop watching a television series because it's on season 23, episode 400, and they still hasn't come to a resolution. It's sucking out all the time from what you can be doing for the Lord. I used to love watching a show called 24. It's a very addictive show. Because at the end of every episode, you wonder, will Jack Bauer survive? 
will he save the world? I stopped watching at season three. Apparently he survives all the way till season nine. But I stopped at season three. Why? Because I wasn't getting any sleep. When one episode ended, I'm wondering all week, what's going to happen? How is he going to get out of this sticky situation? And my mind was consumed with what's going to happen to Jack Bauer. Shows are written so that there are often cliffhangers at the end so that you will be watching it the next week or the next year when the next season comes. Was it hard? Absolutely. When I made a conviction decision to stop watching after season three, for the first few weeks I kept wondering what's going to happen to Jack as if I cared more what happened to a fictional character and what happens to real people. After a while, you know, something strange happened. You don't care anymore. It doesn't matter. I'm glad I didn't waste the last six years of my life only to find him become the president. But anyway, I don't want to ruin anything for you. The reality is this. He survived. Some of you need to give up your hobbies. Some of you need to find another thing to do because what you're doing now is sucking all the time from what you can do. Some of us need to break up a relationship that is unhealthy for your boyfriend, your girlfriend has become an idol in your life. If the one you're with today does not lead you toward Christ but is giving you reason after reason not to come to church to corporately worship or is not encouraging you to do your daily devotional walk with God, then perhaps you need to reassess that relationship because it is an unhealthy one. You see, the call to action is a resolution that is so simple. The Bible simply says, repent and change. But you got to do it. There's nothing new about what I've just said. Easy to say, but very hard to do. My friends, if you know that something is leading you towards destruction, wouldn't you stop doing it? You, we tell people who do drugs, stop doing drugs immediately. It is destroying your life. But why is it when idols of the heart are destroying our lives spiritually, do we not do anything about it and we say, well, it's not bothering anyone. It is hard to do to break away from these idols in our hearts because quite honestly, we enjoy it. We think we can't live without it. We wonder, what will I do with all the time that I have? We feel entitled to do it. Whenever my wife and I are gone for an extended period of time, we don't allow our children to have their devices with them. I know we're mean parents. We actually, every night, lock their devices in our room because unless we're there and able to monitor them, then they don't get their devices. A few months ago, we were gone for about two and a half days. And they pleaded with us, Dad and Mom, can you please leave us our devices, our iPads? We're a little bit older now. Our answer to them was, no, you know the rules. Don't you trust us, Mom and Dad? Our answer, no, we don't. 
We don't. But, but we'll be so bored. I'm sure your kids say the same thing. For teenagers, for sure. How will we survive without devices for two days? I'm sorry, you've got to figure it out. Well, we locked in our room and we left. And you know what? When we came back, we found out they survived. You know something they discovered? They discovered that they could play board games with each other. I had no idea that you can play Monopoly for six hours, but they did. They found out that they could talk to each other. They discovered that they could play outdoors. They discovered that there was sun. You see, my friends, when you change the way you live your life, getting rid of the idols of your heart, then perhaps in your quote-unquote boredom, you can actually read the Bible without rushing through. You can perhaps begin to enjoy the nature that God has given you by which to glorify Him. You may find that you actually have time to encourage other people. Write them a note. You may find that you can actually serve the Lord in the church because now you have time. And perhaps now that you can find out that you have time to invest in spiritual treasures. What a wonderful thought. But unless you change, none of these things will happen. Now the Bible tells us if you're not willing to repent and change and still continue to have idols of the heart, the Bible tells us in verse 7 8, he reminds us of something. What is that reminder? Let's take a look. For anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel who separates himself from me and sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity, then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me. I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. Note this, verse 8. I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb. I will cut him off from the mindset of my people. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. These two verses remind us that God will take action. You see, God wants the heart of His people back to Him. Jump back to verse 5. Verse 5 says, That I may seize the house of Israel by their heart, because they are all estranged from me by their idols. The heart of God is a heart that wants to recapture the heart of His children. In the context of Ezekiel's time, God wants to recapture the heart of the nation of Israel, His chosen people. In our context today, God wants to recapture the heart of His children, us believers. And the Bible tells us, it is these idols of the heart that do what? Verse 5, that estrange ourselves from God. So listen carefully. If people won't respond with change and repentance, then God, because He loves us so much, will take action. Here's number three, the reminder. Number three, if you're taking notes. The reminder. God will take action, if we won't, to recapture the heart 
of his people. God will take action to recapture the heart of his people. God says in verse 7 that all in Israel and even foreign aliens living in the land had to remember that God would make an example of those who do not change by being the change agent, by forcing change and doing what? Disciplining them. I will cut them off. I will discipline them. He would make them a proverb. A proverb is a wise saying, meaning he would make them as an example of what happens to people who have idols in their hearts but do not change. God says, I will make you a proverb because they will see from your life that I take action. I don't simply give empty words. I take action. Just like you as parents, when you see your children doing something wrong and they are not listening to you because you love them, you will take action to force change in their life. Now, of course, when they get older, they can't. And they will have to suffer the consequences of their decision. But at least when they're young, when they're still listening, perhaps with half a year, you often have to resort to action to get them to change. You see, the notion that God will allow his children to continue in their idolatry is wrong. God takes action because of his love, because he wants to recapture the heart of his people. Do you know one of the most effective ways to get your children's attention when they're on their devices? You know, when children are on their devices, it's as if they're deaf. You tell them, come, come, put it down, come, stop what you're doing. They don't listen to you. One of the most effective ways to get their attention is to turn off the internet, to turn off the Wi-Fi. That's what I'll do. I go to the living room where our router is. I'll unplug it. A few minutes later, more often than not, you hear shouts from the room, Daddy, no internet! Daddy, no Wi-Fi! I won't answer them. I'm not their slave. Of course, they're smart enough to come out to reset the router or to check, and there I am, having unplugged the router. Daddy, why did you do that? To get your attention. You see, when words fail, actions kick in. My friends, God in his arsenal to get our attention doesn't turn off the internet, doesn't turn off the Wi-Fi. God has within his arsenal to get our attention things that you don't want him to use. But God says, I will take action to get my erring children to pay attention to me. Sometimes God allows us to go through sickness you know, when someone gets sick, they quickly realize their own mortality. God often gets our attention through sickness. Sometimes it is in the loss of something or someone that gets our attention. Sometimes God gets our attention by letting us undergo failure. And while we may be wanting to blame God, if we check our hearts, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Because God has been calling out to us for us to change. But we haven't listened. We've played deaf. And so God takes action. Remember that. Why does he do it? Look at the end of verse 8. 
so you shall know that I am the Lord. My friends, it's going to happen anyways. The Bible says every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You might as well acknowledge it now. You might as well acknowledge it through your action that He's Lord of all. Don't make God spring to action and be the change agent through means by which you will not be very happy with. God has demonstrated the danger of idols of the heart. He has given us a response. He has given us a reminder, and now he gives us a warning in verses 9 to 11. Look with me. The warning. And if the prophet is induced to speak anything, I, the Lord, have induced that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among my people Israel. And they shall bear their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be the same as the punishment of the one who inquired, the one with idols in their heart, that the house of Israel may no longer stray from me, nor be profane anymore with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people and I may be their God, says the Lord God. There is a warning in verses 9 to 11. It is a warning, listen carefully, that God does not answer those who worship idols in their hearts. God does not answer those who worship idols in their hearts. That's number four. You see, it echoes what verse four says. When these hypocritical elders came asking God for answer, while their hearts were worshiping false idols in their hearts, God asks the question in verse four, why should I give these hypocritical elders an answer? God is under no obligation, no obligation to give them a response. In fact, God says in verse 9, these men and women who ask with idols in their hearts, perhaps in their desire to get an answer, they may not discern and allow a false prophet to answer thinking on my behalf. But that answer isn't from me. But those are words of deception which in turn, when they follow, will lead them down the path towards their destruction, both for the prophet who falsely gives it and the one who does not discern. And it is when we realize that God isn't guiding us and them that verse 11 says, it is with a hope that erring children will turn back to God so that, verse 11, they may be my people and I may be their God. Let me break it down for you. Sadly, so many people today are not walking with the Lord. They will not admit it, but if I were to peer into your heart, or if God knows what's going on in your heart, we will see a multitude of idols. And then we have the audacity with the idols set up in our hearts to then ask God, God, what's your best will for my life? I want the best from you. How should I decide on this? And you know what? God doesn't answer. And then we have the audacity to complain that God is silent. Remember, drill this down into your heads. 
God is under no obligation to give you an answer, especially when you and I adulterate ourselves before idols of the heart. It should even scare you more that when you're not walking with God and you inquire of God thinking you're going to get an answer from Him and then you begin to allow false prophets to speak to you because you're so desperate to get an answer from God that you may get an answer and you may follow it, but it will lead to your destruction. That should scare you as it scares me. So check your hearts, my friend. When you ask of God, you better ask the question, am I in relationship with Him? Does He have priority in my life? Do my actions reflect that God has priority in my life, that I humbly ask Him for direction? You know, as a pastor, many people ask me to pray for them. I will not pray for you. I will pray with you. Because why should I pray for someone when they themselves are not praying? That's often the case. I'm not a rent a pastor. I'm not a rent a prayer machine where you ask me to pray for you, and that's my job to pray for you while you say, you know what? I've delegated that job to spiritual leaders. I will do what I need to do. If I know you're not praying for yourself and what you request, I'm not praying for you. And I know you may not like hearing that. But the sad reality is so many people think that as long as I ask of God, He'll give me an answer through the pastor, through a spiritual leader. I myself know it's important, but I don't have time to pray. Think again. God gives a warning, a stern warning. God does not answer those who worship idols in their hearts. So many people think they can turn on and turn off God. Okay, God, I need your leading. I need to inquire of you. Come on. Come out. Come out wherever you are. And when I don't need you, you can disappear now, God. God does lead. But we better prioritize him in our life so that he will hear our prayers and act on it. You know the situation. You hate it. You know the situation where you're not nice to someone because you don't need them. But when you need them, you're nice suddenly to them. And then when they give you what you want, you're no longer nice to them. What will compel them to help you the next time you pretend to be nice to them, right? You say, these people are just using me. They're only nice to me because I can do something for them. Well, guess what? Just like you don't want to be treated this way, God doesn't want to be treated this way as well. He can choose not to answer, especially when he sees into the hearts of men and women and he sees where our loyalties really lie. Four hours immersed in a video game and two minutes in prayer probably won't get your prayers answered. Ten hours of watching a television series and five minutes of prayer won't get you the guidance you're looking for. Those are the realities. Actions laced in hypocrisy will get you nowhere if there is no sincerity of action in your life. God does not answer the prayers of those who worship idols in their heart. 
and cast him out. He is under no obligation. Now that you have been warned, here's the challenge. The challenge for us, verse 17 to 23. To give you context, verse 12 to 13, excuse me, from, from verse 12 to verse 23, it talks about the coming unpostponable judgment of God. You see, perhaps there were those living in the land who thought, you know what, yeah, I got some idols in my heart, but there's some generally good people. And because there's generally good people living in our country, nothing bad is going to happen to us. God's going to say, you know what? It doesn't matter if there's generally good people. Judgment is coming. Look with me, verse 12 to 13. The word of the Lord came again to me saying, Son of man, when a land sins against me, note this, by persistent unfaithfulness. Would you circle those two words? Persistent unfaithfulness. Lest you walk away this morning thinking that somehow God is not a patient God and God is so unfair. I messed up once or twice. No. Persistent unfaithfulness. God gives you chance after chance after chance after chance. You are persistently unfaithful. What will he do? I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it, and cut off men and beasts from it. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. God says in the first of four hypothetical cases that he would send a famine to a nation that was persistently unfaithful. They were unfaithful because they had idols of the heart which they never dealt with. And God says even if the three most righteous men, three of the most righteous men in the Old Testament, lived at the same time in their land, God would still bring punishment. Two of the examples were those who lived prior to Ezekiel, Noah, and Job. But I was amazed that Daniel is included in this list. Daniel is a contemporary of Ezekiel. Sometimes when I read through the book of Daniel, because I know he wrote it under the inspiration of the scriptures, you look at Daniel and say, wow, man, Daniel, what an amazing man. The only fault they could find in him was that he prayed too much. Maybe he kind of skewed up. You know, when you're writing your own story, you're, you're kind of biased about yourself. I want you to understand something. When your contemporary, Ezekiel, who's living in the same time, is writing about how righteous you are, that's a pretty righteous man. And he says, even if Noah, Ezekiel, and Job are living in the same time, my punishment will still come. Verse 15, 16. And if I cause wild beasts to pass through the land and they empty it and make it so desolate that no man may pass through because of the beast, even though these three men were in it as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, but note this, only they, these three, would be delivered and the land would be desolate. In the second scenario, God says, I will judge through wild beasts. I would punish them, those living in the land, but I will Rescue or save, deliver these three. Note the emphasis. Only those that are living righteously will be delivered. Or if I bring a sword on that land and say, sword, go through the land, and I cut off men and beasts from it, even though these three men were in it as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, but only they themselves would be delivered. Or if I send a pestilence into the land and pour out my fury on it in blood and cut off from it men and beasts, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters. Now listen carefully. They would deliver only themselves. 
by their righteousness. God gives two more examples. Through sword and plague, only three are saved. Why? Because of their righteousness. Here's the emphatic point. It is individual righteousness that saves. Here's the challenge, number five. The challenge. We are to live faithfully in an unfaithful world. Individually living faithfully in an unfaithful world. It doesn't matter if no one else is living faithfully. It doesn't matter if others have idols in their hearts. What matters is what is in your heart. Because those who are living with individual righteousness, those are the ones that God will deliver. Verse 21 to 23, closing the chapter. For thus says the Lord God, how much more it shall be when I send my four severe judgments on Jerusalem, the sword and famine and wild beasts and pestilence, to cut off men and beasts from it. Yet behold, there shall be left in it a remnant who will be brought out, both sons and daughters. Surely they will come out to you, and you will see their ways and their doings. Then you will be comforted concerning the disaster that I brought upon Jerusalem, all that I have brought upon it. And they will comfort you when you see their ways and their doings. And you shall know, note this, that I have done nothing without cause, that I have done in it, says the Lord God. God is a very fair God. He says, I will punish the nation of Israel, but I will save a remnant. These are the people who turn back to me. God is not unjust, that he punishes the righteous with the unrighteous. God is a righteous judge. He does nothing without cause, and he will save a remnant. This should be an encouragement to you, my friends, to live faithfully in an unfaithful world. We love to compare. We say, okay, pastor, this afternoon I'm going to delete Facebook. Good for you. But everyone else has to as well. And if they don't, I don't. We'll see if they do, then I'll do it. Pastor, I'll stop watching that TV show. But everyone else has to watch it. Stop watching it as well. It doesn't work that way, my friends. Can't compare. If there are idols in your heart, you deal with the idols in your heart. Let others deal with the idols in their hearts. Because the Bible tells us it is our responsibility when the rest of the world is doing something, to live faithfully, to live faithfully. Just like Noah, and Job, and Daniel of old, whose lives were marked by righteous living in an unrighteous world. We are all responsible for our own actions, our own heart attitude. Do you have idols in your heart? Examine your heart today. Get rid of them. Like Hezekiah and Josiah of old, go throughout the land of your heart and begin to pull down and to tear down these idols so that the priority of the worship of God and your desire to live a holy life will serve as a boundary and a balance so that you can enjoy all that God has given you. Live faithfully, my friends, in an unfaithful world.
Father, we come before you this morning hearing your word clearly. The people of Ezekiel's time were deaf, or they pretended to be deaf. In one ear, out the other. May, not, may we not be a generation like them. Because it must so grieve you, Lord. You must be so heartbroken when your people, whom you've saved through your son Jesus Christ, adulterate themselves to the world, and they place in their hearts idols that take priority. And I confess that I've done the same thing because it's so easy to push you into the background and prop up something else that has done nothing for us. And to be reminded that you who gave your very life for the ransom of many, for my life and your life, should be a reminder that you have first place in it. May that be the challenge for our congregation as we live faithfully in a faithful world so that we can be watchmen of our generation. In Jesus' name we pray.